0: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Love. Today I had so much fun speaking with our guest, Lair Torrent. Lair is a clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist. Mindfulness is at the foundation of Lair's work as a therapist and a coach. Today we discuss his awesome book, The Practice of Love, and dive into his five practices of love designed to help us break old patterns, rebuild trust, and create lasting connection. This book is for everyone, whether you're in a relationship or not. Lair's practices are practical, doable, and so effective in helping all of us love ourselves and each other better. I hope you enjoy our conversation and learn something new you can apply in your own life. Enjoy. Welcome to Let's Talk Love, the podcast that brings you real talk, fresh ideas, and expert insights every week. Our guests are the most trusted voices in love and relationships, and they're here for you, with tools, information, and friendly advice to help you expand the ways you love, relate, and communicate. We tackle the big questions, not shying away from the complex, the messy, the awkward, and the joyful parts of relationships. I'm your host, Robin Ducharme. Now, let's talk love. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Love. I am excited to have this conversation with somebody who I've been following. I've read Lair's book, and been listening to his podcast. I said when I first met him just today, I was like, I feel like I know you, buddy. But we're just meeting <laughs> for the first time over, <laughs> over Riverside. But I, like I really that. am so happy to have Laird Torrent join us for this hour. Thank you, Laird.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I've been waiting for this one. This one's I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, I'm I'm excited too. I read your book, The Practice mm-hmm. of Love. I'm going to hold it up for those of you that are watching this on YouTube. Oh, look, look at, at this there beautiful book. Yeah, I love I the I have cover. Product,
1: I have product placement. There it is in the background.
0: There you go. Oh, there it is in the back. Lair, <laughs> we, we really kind of briefly talked about this at the beginning when we were introducing each other, We're introducing mm-hmm. ourselves. And um, I do read a book a week and I interview mm-hmm. a new expert every week. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like your book definitely stands out as one that I'm mm-hmm. going to turn back to. And I've been implementing... The practices, the five practices of love, mm-hmm. because love mm-hmm. is a practice. It is. That's what you teach. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the therapy that you provide. Mm-hmm. And one one of the biggest insights, and we're going to dive into all of it, was for me, which I'm still, oh boy, I'm feeling like I got a lot of work ahead of me. Mm-hmm. But you you say that couples develop a deeper understanding of the wounds that brought them together. Mm-hmm that's what you do and how they show up in their relationships that's yep. what you help people do yep. so i was like whoa <laughs> like this is not just a, like this is about the wounds that you're carrying yeah. and i and i get it like i'm yeah. i'm you know we're learning this as a community your community mm-hmm. my community our, like uh, together we are our consciousness is raising about mm-hmm. relationships and how it's so much more about ourselves right so that we can be better in relationship But when you you really dive into it in a way that's easy to understand, it's not easy to implement, but I I understand it. But I think Mm -hmm. that's where I want to go with this. I just want to learn more about it. And also, Mm -hmm. well, first, let's just talk about yourself, talk about you. And I just want to know how you got into becoming a therapist, a marriage and family therapist. And then you also have a very unique skill set where you took four years of training with the Helix Institute. Yeah, So I would love to hear more about that, too, because that's... Mm -hmm. Very like different than a lot of marriage and family therapists out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was an actor in New York City, and um, oh, yeah, 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 I'd been doing yeah, I'd been doing you know doing pretty well. And I remember I was sitting on the set of Law and Order, and I, uh, I I was in my trailer, and I was just coming from hair and makeup, and I was feeling really important. I had just done a a pilot with Kira Sedgwick and Beverly D'Angelo.
0: And I awesome. was getting ready to
1: do an off-Broadway play. And so, you know, I was feeling yeah. my oats. And then almost audibly in my ear, not audibly, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Otherwise, we'd have other issues. Um, I This <clears throat> sense came over me, this understanding that was essentially like you can continue doing this and beat your head against the wall. But this is not what you're here to do. You're here to do something different. And you know what it is. And I had been reading Barbara Sher's book, Wishcraft, an so old book, but I really enjoyed, I had really enjoyed it. And she said in that book, she said, if you want to know what you're really into, what you're really passionate about, take one look at your um take one look at your bookshelf. And on my bookshelf, there were about five or six books on acting and about fifty or sixty books on the brain, on self-help, on therapy. So you know it was pretty clear to me if the voice wasn't enough that i needed to head in another direction and uh, my then girlfriend um now wife at the time she had found this pamphlet for the helix training program and so we both went and looked at it made sure it wasn't a cult uh which it wasn't <laughs> and, <laughs> but it was a four year very rigorous training program founded by five amazing women in 1970 And they were really looking to turn psychotherapy on its head and off. Like there are different modalities out there in the world that are really effective beyond the Western clinical modes. And so I dove in face first into that. And, um, you know, I I say that the Helix training program turned out Jedis um, and and really strong therapists that uh, can come from, you know, they meet the client where they are in their cosmology and their belief systems. And Helix was not a licensure program, it was a certification, it was an ordination, really. And I really wanted to get my, um, uh, my license because I knew that in our, in our country, it was going to be a, a real game changer for me. It would you know, get a few letters after your name and you're probably going to be able to do a little bit more. And that's turned mm-hmm. out to be the case. So I went to Mercy College where I studied under uh, Dr. Evan Ember Black, who, if anybody knows who she is, she's a preeminent marriage and family therapist, perhaps in the, in the world. She won the Penn Award. She's an amazing, amazing clinician. And I got to study under her, which was pretty great.
0: Wow. Well, it, you know, funny, I, I did – like, I know you were an actor. I forgot about that I detail. Did. But, you know, what, it's really rele- um, relevant to – listening to your book as well. Cause I listened, I listened to it as well as read it hmm. and you are so great at impersonating your clients. <laughs> like like the voices and the intonation and like you I'm could just see going back and forth in the office. I don't know if you've heard got that. I'm, before, that. I'm not going like to lie to you. I got the acting chops
1: back out. I did. I yeah, got the yeah, acting chops back crazy. out. I had to audition for oh, the I-
0: part. See, you know, I know that, but you know, the thing about this is like, I really truly believe, and I'm sure you have the same belief is like, you know, all of our, we think you're in the wrong, oh, I'm in the wrong place. I have to, you know, your soul, your heart's telling you, okay, I need Mm -hmm. to transition Mm -hmm. here. And it's Mm -hmm. like, and that voice is just going to get louder and louder until you listen. Or like you said, you're going to bang your head up against the wall, but Mm -hmm. your acting skills and all of that time you spent honing that, those gifts are you you're transitioning that into your work you're doing now so anyway it's all on it's all on purpose
1: it's all coming together
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so in your practice you've worked with hundreds of couples and Mm -hmm. um you say that couples therapy there's like these gaps that you noticed right which is Mm -hmm. why you you implemented Mm -hmm. your um practices that you
1: help clients
0: with and you wrote Mm -hmm. your book so tell us about that like what led you to write your book and develop these five practices.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, they they run you through um grad school and then throw you into a internship. I happened to get a pretty good one. And so I was using all of the tools that I'd learned, you know. And so I was... Using the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, I was using the nonviolent yeah. communication techniques. The I statements were flying around, and my couples were really excited. I, I and I told the in, my intern coordinator, I said, "I want to work with couples," and she said, "We hate working with couples, so we're going to give you all of them." I was like, "Great, yeah." I need to get my hours, and so I was doing great. I was killing it with my couples. Mm-hmm. People were leaving my office, shaking my hand. Some were hugging me. And I like to say before they got to the elevator banks in my building, it was all coming off the rails, right? And they were coming back in dejected. They were coming back in frustrated. I was frustrated for them. I felt like I was really failing my clients. And so I went to my colleagues. I went to my peers. uh, I went to my teachers, uh, supervisors and said, you know, I'm having this issue. And to a person, they all said the same thing. Some version of welcome to couples therapy. The idea being that, you know, that- your success rate is probably going to fall somewhere in line with the success rate of couples therapy, with, you know, in, in, in general, which is, I guess, uh, you know, somewhere near the divorce rate. And um, so, I, I wow, didn't like right? that answer. And so, I went to the venerable Dr. Evan Ember Black, right? I had this, this woman in my back pocket. She was my supervisor, my mentor. And I went to her office and I told her about my experience. And she said, welcome to couples therapy. And I said – I said, Evan, I said, there, that, that can't be your answer. You've been on Oprah, for God's sakes. And she said, I've been on Oprah twice. And I said, exactly. <laughs> so you can't give me that answer. And then she sort of offhandedly said, well, if you don't like it, then go create something of your own. And I was like, awesome. you can do that? And she said, yeah. Now, to this day, I don't think she thought I would do it. But she had done it. And I thought, well, maybe I can too. And so I went out and started thumbing through all of the things that I, I really enjoyed. I thought really did work and found aspects that I thought would kind of like fill in uh, the, the pieces that were missing in our Western modes. And so I ended up with a real eclectic blend of Eastern philosophy and Western clinical modalities. And that's what we find in the book. And that's what I use um, every day in my practice. And quite frankly, it's what I use in my relationship of 22 years.
0: Yes. And one when- – thing that i did want to point out is that this book is for everyone this is not i mean this is not just for couples because the practices Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. for all of our relationships
1: doesn't matter Um, romantic or i was
0: you know you 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 have a podcast that you where you talk about the episode you talk about where you can you can use these of course these skills with your children Mm -hmm. like mindfulness Mm -hmm. this is this is every day getting into the present. I was doing this this morning. I was preparing, you know, just thinking about the day and thinking about meeting you. And I'm doing my makeup and I'm like, my mind is racing a million directions. The stories that it's telling and like mm-hmm. we we do, right? It's like on this this hamster wheel of thoughts that you, you think you're controlling them, but you're really not. And then I was like, okay, Robin, you got to practice your mindfulness. So I did for yeah. the next 10 minutes. I was mindful of every stroke mm-hmm. into the, you know, into the eyeshadow and like mm-hmm, realistically mm-hmm. being very mindful. And I'm, yeah. and it's like this peace comes over you. So can we talk about, can we, can you just go through the five principles and then we look, can we can go a little bit more into detail.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what they are and I'll give you a brief synopsis yeah. of each if that works.
0: Yes, please. That'd be great. So
1: the, the, the five practices are mindfulness, parts of self, the narrative, choosing, and then personal responsibility. And so the reason I chose mindfulness is for a few few reasons. One, the de-escalation aspect that you experienced as you sort of found yourself kind of calming down. What mindfulness really does for us is um, it gets us out of our knee-jerk responses and gets us out of looking across the table at our partners and everybody else and what they're doing. gets us focusing on ourselves. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? That puts us in a real place of power, right? Because you can't necessarily choose the feelings that come up, but you can choose how you react to them, the things you do and the things you say, if you're practicing mindfully. Now, it was also not lost on me that in order to onboard any new practice, any new habit, we have to recognize the habit we want to get rid of. And we have to recognize that we have to be able to mindfully use the skill we want to add. Now, mindfulness mm-hmm. turns off autopilot. Um makes us uh, makes us really really healthy in all kinds of great ways. Now it does not require us to sit on a meditation cushion for an inordinate amount of time.
0: And you you do talk about that, right, Larry? Mm-hmm. You do. Can we talk more about that? Because you there is an example that you give of, of a gentleman yeah. in your office that comes in and he's like, "Oh, I, I'm totally mindful. Like it's part of my daily practice. I meditate in the morning. I meditate at night." Mm-hmm. And turns out the guy's like in anger management for like road like road rage or something, right? For
1: road rage, yeah.
0: So there's a difference. So it's not like working out said, for you between mm-hmm. being mindful and meditation, mm-hmm. because mindfulness can be practiced at any time. It's not like like you said; it doesn't have to it doesn't require mm-hmm. um, it's stillness of the mind, but it doesn't require you to be um, still.
1: No, no. Ellen Langer out of part, Langer out of I always mispronounce her last name. She's written anywhere from twenty two papers and 11 books to date she was studying mindfulness all the way back in the 70s when everyone thought she was nuts you know and she said all you have to do is pay attention she made it really really simple she's like with your partner go home and notice four or five new things about your partner i thought that was revelatory can you imagine if we all did that right the, yes. the different things that would yeah yeah so she made like mindfulness right now you, really, you, really, that simple.
0: makes me think like you, like what was it just makes me think right now like I, the detail that I could think, I was like, what was my husband wearing this morning? I'm like, well, I know it was a t-shirt and shorts, but I don't know which ones. So that right. would be like something that I could use pick up on and be, right? That's a detail that I was not mindful of this morning.
1: Well, look, familiarity in a relationship <laughs> over the course of long term, that's a, that's a problem for us. I've seen you. I know what you look like. Yes. But what would happen if you stopped and you noticed your wife's eyes for a moment? if you notice your partner's yes. amazing smile if you know, if you if you were ever if you were able to reinvigorate those things that made you want to win that person's heart can you imagine that's the power of mindfulness when you stop and you take them in i also offer attunement right which is mindfulness's yes. little known cousin which is stop push pause not only notice what's going on for you but attune energetically with what's happening with your partner watch what they're going through and say hey are you okay what's going on with you And suddenly they feel seen. They can feel perhaps understood in a little bit way in a way that perhaps they haven't before. Suddenly you're present and it's an amazingly powerful practice. The problem with mindfulness is it's really easy for it to to do it. Um, Secondly, it's getting so much airplay these days that people feel like they know what it is and it's sort of like, oh yeah, mindfulness now. But when you really do what you're doing and diving into that practice and seeing what it can bring to you, man, there's a ton of stuff there for you.
0: Yes. And I did want to ask that question of you because you have been practicing this for so long. Like you say in the morning, mm-hmm. you wake up and you, you go into the woods and you actually go into projections mm-hmm. and you yeah. um, go on your walks, yeah. right? And it's, your, yeah. yep. it's a mindful practice. Yes. So, like any skill, like you said, our brains, like, have to, we have to form a habit. So, it takes mm-hmm. six weeks, scientifically proven, that, to form a new mm-hmm. habit. Mm-hmm. So, you've been practicing this for years and years. So, mm-hmm. let me ask you because, because you are so practiced, it becomes easier, right? <laughs> because like, I, like right now, I'm not, I'm not practiced at yeah, all. So I, really, and I think you're creating new pathways in the brain, and your amygdala is like those things. Yeah,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think you know, it's it, you're a human being, and so you're still subject to all the, the, the nicks and dings that you've that you've occurred throughout your life, the wounds. What mindfulness for me does is it, 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 it just I notice when I'm feeling bad quicker, and I'm less likely to be reactive through it. It does. It makes me a better partner, sure, but it makes me a better parent. It makes me certainly a better therapist because, I mean, I'm lucky. I get to sit for six to eight hours on any given day and I have to be mindful. I have to be present. I have to be aware of what's coming up in me because it's not about me and it's about the client. And so that's really helpful in that regard too. Oh,
0: Mm -hmm. that's awesome. mm -hmm. Okay. So practice number two, this one was like mind blowing. Actually, it's so, it's so actually makes perfect sense to me. But like, whoa, yeah. I didn't even think about it this way.
1: It was crazy when I found it, right? So, but there's, you know, because it, it came up on my exam as sort of an honorable mention because Dick Schwartz had, had created um, IFS, Internal Family Systems Theory. And I read it and I was like, that's pretty cool. And so I started researching it. And it's like, come to find out there's some version of parts work or parts theory in almost all versions of therapy. Now you know, really turning it towards couples. It's like people say to me in the boilerplate reason for a couple to come in to therapy is we're having communication problems. And this is where I say, no, you don't. And they get a little frustrated, right? I'm like, you don't. And they're like, well, Blair, I've been there. I know I've been to the house. I know we can't communicate. We can't. I said, no, you communicated that to me just fine. You have full articulation of the English language. What you have is a parts problem. And they're like, you know, they, they suddenly look like a dog who's heard a funny noise. And. And I say, yeah, no, the part of you that's showing up is incapable of doing the thing that you're trying to do, which is have a loving and connective, compassionate, empathetic conversation with your partner. Now we have to find the part that can, there's a reason why you're coming in here. It's probably because you and your partner have had these protective aspects of self trying to, um, have these conversations. Now, you know, this is what happened to me. I would, I would give my, my Clients in the beginning, I would give them the I statements, you know, what I think I heard you say and what I got from that was. And it would be great in session when I'm there refereeing and they're all on their good behavior. They would go home, triggered into their baser parts, their wounding and their protective aspects. And they would try it. Let's talk to let's talk to each other like the therapist taught, taught us to. Right. So what I think I heard you say turns into what the hell did you just say to me very, very quickly. And they were weaponizing the, te- the technique. Yes. And so it dawned on me that, oh, you're in the wrong compartment. So I looked started looking at the work of Robert Kurzban. He's an evolutionary psychologist who talks a lot about compartmentalization of the mind. And we throw that word compartmentalization around kind of willy-nilly. It's a real deal. It's a big deal. If you are in a particular part of you in a particular compartment of your brain, you will see the world through that and everyone in it through that part. And if it's a protector yes. part, you will see everyone as a reason to have to protect yourself. And so the the example I give is, you know, imagine your cell phone um, and and all of the apps on there. Those are like your parts. You're going to choose those those apps depending on the job you want to do. And so if you're in your Instagram, the question I ask is, can you send an email? And of course, the answer is I can't because Instagram does not doesn't give us that skill, that tool in there. Neither do your protector parts give you the tool of connection. They are designed to create distance. That's what they do. And so the first thing we need to do if we're going to have good, solid communication is find out who's showing up to the conversation right, and switch that out. Otherwise, we're putting the cart before the horse. And we've been doing that for years in psychotherapy, asking clients to use um, these various techniques with the wrong part in place. It doesn't work.
0: Yes. So you know this is you know you say that we have different like we have different sides of our personality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We all do. So yeah. you give the example of this high-powered finance guy who mm-hmm. is like you know he's a bulldog in the boardroom, mm-hmm. and yeah. then he comes home like that's that's who he's playing. He's playing and, he, and that's probably the right p- like, place for him to be if he's in a cutthroat business like that. For example, mm-hmm. and, um, and he comes home and he's like, "Mr. Softy Pants," and uh, with his kids and with his wife, and mm-hmm. he's like, "I never thought of it that way, but that's true." And if I acted like that with the way I, kid, I do with my kids in, in my job, I wouldn't be where I'm at.
1: Well, look, I have it. I had had a ton of people in my men's anger management program that did exactly that. They brought the board guy home to they got they brought the, the guy in the boardroom home to their partner, and that didn't go well. No. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's the there's the different parts that we all have, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you explain it. We mm-hmm. don't have a, a lot of time to go through every single one, but yeah. it may, this makes sense, right? We've got our wounded child, which is like the youngest part of us mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we all, carry. all we care.
1: may have several of them, right? Oh, we may yes. have several oh. of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There could be said, depending on do you, you know complex trauma. There's going to be a number of them, and you're probably going to go through this work, begin to discover many uh, wounding wounded parts you didn't know were there of all ages. I try to make it really simple because as I said in the book, I don't want to give you a graduate school degree in parts work. I want to give you a user-friendly understanding of them so you can work with it. And so the parts to remember are the wounded child and who shows up to protect the wounded child? The protective part. How do you fight? Are you a fighter? Are you a fleer? Are you a freezer? Or do you use your inner critic? Because we all have that inner critic within us. And so just remembering these parts gives us a really good working knowledge. Now, IFS gives us firemen, managers, all that's really interesting and can be helpful. Often it can get pretty confusing, especially in the beginning. And so this is what I offer in my book, a very quick user-friendly understanding of like your protector parts, the wounded child aspects that show up. Yeah. Hmm.
0: And ideally what we want to get into is our wise self. Mm -hmm. That's our adult Mm -hmm. self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But maybe, yep. maybe not adult self. Maybe we you, Terry, Terry real says adult, but it, maybe it's the wise adult. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, we start, my wife and I ask questions, like, well, is this your, is this your soul or is this your wise self? What, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, right?
0: Whoa. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. But when, when you <laughs> yeah. do this work and those, and you, you become mindful and aware of the parts of you that are showing up and you start doing it in a roll call, what ends up happening through that very old Buddhist practice of naming when you name something, you cease to be overcoupled with that thing. These parts start arraying around you and the wise self automatically takes the seat of consciousness, which is kind of interesting, right? This, the, that why self is our most Zen part. And it's sort of like, hey, you can have whatever experience you want. If you want to go through this through the wounded child, fine. We're going to learn something. You want to do it through your protective part of self. Great. We're going to learn something there too. bring it all on. But if you want me to come forward, This is something you have to meditatively stop, push, pause, take that inner roll call and watch as that wise self comes forward. It's pretty amazing.
0: I just, uh, I love this Lair. I I swear I've been implementing these practices. Like yesterday, (laughs) my husband and I had couples therapy and before the session, I was getting kind of nervous. I'm like, okay, Robin, you are going to put your like actions where you're, you know, I've got the skills, I've got the knowledge. I'm Mm -hmm. gonna do this, right? So I was like, seriously, getting a butterfly. And I'm like, Robin, you're your wise self, okay? Like, if the defender Mm -hmm. comes out, or if the wounded wounded child comes out, like you're gonna be here. You're gonna like, and that's where the that's where the mindful practice comes in, because Mm -hmm. I was being, I was trying to be the most mindful possible, Mm -hmm. and be the observer of my experience, right? So these are all overlapping. They're all. This is why it's important to integrate the five.
1: It is, but notice what you didn't do in that moment. You didn't point any fingers at him.
0: I didn't. I'm very am. proud of myself. My <laughs> session went really well. How awesome is that? Think-
1: that, was, that was the unforeseen boon that I got when I started going, oh, look at this. All of this is pointing yeah. back at the self, or back at you. The only thing we have control over and all the other practices do exactly the same thing.
0: Yes, you know? they do. Okay, so those people that are listening that are dating, because we have a lot of people, of course, they're listeners that are, they're not in a, with a couple, they're not in a partnership, but they want to be and they're dating. Mm-hmm. How can yeah. they practice this, for instance, mindfulness, dating on the yeah. apps and like in your conversations and with, yeah, and laws of attraction. And like you talk a little bit about that in your book too. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to kind of like talk to that group of people that are looking for love and want to do this.
1: Yeah, so they're they're in my experience, it's all very applicable if you're dating and uh, trying to date, trying to find that part because or that partner. Because what you're what I'm doing with my couples is is I'm not working on you know the old diagram of of couples therapy. It's like you're you are not my client, your partner's not my client, your relationship is my client. Eh. And really, what I say is no, you are my client, and so are you. Um, I'm trying to get you guys showing up in the best versions of yourselves, right? By being more mindful, looking at your part, looking at your narrative, looking at how you're loving and able to love and then taking responsibility for all of that. Now with respect to the dating apps, it's like the same thing. It's like, are you mindful and aware of how you're showing up? What part of you is showing up to dating? That's part. So when you, when you talk about law of attraction, it's about being the thing being the thing that you want to create, right? You're you're tra- you're being the person that would have that, and so rather than chase the thing that will ultimately run away from you, when you when you begin to be the version of yourself that would be in a loving, connective relationship, you begin to attract that thing rather than chase it. Anything we chase tends to run, and so we plant our feet. Who am I? And the, singularly, the most the most powerful question we can ask in any area of our lives is, "Who am I?" in reflection of this thing. And who do I want to be two hours, two days, two months, two years from now? How do I want to be able to talk about this experience? And so we can throw dating into that pool too. And I'm convinced that the apps are energy and they respond to how you show up. And it also responds to the story that you tell. If you tell a story that the apps are a pain in the ass and they don't work and percentages and this and that and you know what? That's what you're going to get, and so I think it's really yes. important when you're looking at the apps and you're looking at dating that you begin to look at the part of you that shows up, and also look at the story that you're telling about dating and also about you as a person. Because you know the people I'm working with who are single, we have to start remembering and telling a story about how you have this amazing life that you're that you're that you've built or are building, and you have a ton to share, and that yes. we begin coming from an abundance perspective and not a deficit perspective.
0: I love that. That's something mm-hmm. that I, when I, I, got, I met my husband online and mm-hmm. that was some, my, my profile was not about him. It wasn't about anybody else. It was about me. Yeah. And this is what I have to offer. This is what I want. And love that. What love like, that. hopefully if you don't fit, don't, don't contact me. Cause this is like, that's
1: it. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Don't Cause I don't have a call. lot to
0: offer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Rich life. And that's what you're saying. You're talking the story you're telling and that's your third Mm -hmm. practice is the narrative.
1: The narrative, the story that we tell. It's so important, right? Oh boy. Our thoughts become feelings, our feelings become thoughts.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have um, a quote of yours that I wanted to share. You say, part of getting to know yourself is to unknow yourself, to let Mm -hmm. go of the limiting stories you've told yourself about who you are so you aren't trapped by them so you can live your mm-hmm. life and not the story you've been telling about your life mm-hmm. so that would be like a personal narrative that we have about ourselves mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know our so, so many of our beliefs aren't true yeah. right as much as we can, can stick mm-hmm. to our beliefs and be like that's what i believe well it's like i've right. i've i'm like i'm a different person belief wise than i was you know 10 years ago let's just say right because you just experienced right. but my values are my values maybe they've changed too. But mm-hmm. when you're talking about a narrative, when it comes to couples that you share a lot of good stories in your book layer about mm-hmm. how narratives can really damage the relationship yeah. and mm-hmm. especially longstanding narratives, like mm-hmm. can tear apart. Yep. So can you give us just more about that?
1: Sure. So, you know, you'll notice, you know, in the I knew in my book I did not. I I got annoyed when I would read therapy books on couples, especially in school, and it would be like, and then I did this amazing thing, and everyone was saved, and look at me, I'm the awesome therapist. I hated that because that's not how it works, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of falter, a lot of uh, a lot of missteps, Um, uh, a lot of times it doesn't work out, and and so I needed to include a cautionary tale. The likely candidate for the cautionary tale in my book was Mm -hmm. the narrative because so many people. Um, fall prey to it. You know, they 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 come way too late. The narratives concretized, those thoughts that you've, you know, were just sort of lingering in the back of your head, you've practiced those over and over again on a daily basis. Those thoughts became feelings, those feelings become thoughts. It's like Art I said, the brain tells a story that the body believes. And pretty soon yes. those narratives concretize into belief systems. This is just who you are. This is just yeah. how I see you now. And it becomes really, really difficult to untangle those narratives and those stories because we're having on average anywhere from 30 to 40,000 thoughts on any given day. It's like trying to catch wind in your hand, right? And so the narrative looms is a very, very important aspect in couples work. Um, it affects us on every level, including physically. And so it's uh, it's certainly one that, that I um, really dig into, with couples, to help them to you know deconstruct narratives that they've created and reform more accurate, healthy, loving narratives. Yeah,
0: and sharing your narratives with your partner—that's hard. This well, is what you, that's, this is what you—you got to be careful with that one. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. but this is this is what you challenge some of your clients to do. Right? It's like, where did this all start? Where did this narrative begin? Mm-hmm. And you, you do, ex- I'm, 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 I don't mean that literally, like, I'm not going to sit around and be like, this is, this is my thought about you, because that's, that's very yeah. damaging to your partner. But mm-hmm. yeah. you do share that story about how you're working with um, Jeff and Tanya, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how ever since their son was born, the relationship changed, which does yep. happen when babies are born. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's so incredibly taxing on relationships, But she created a story about him and he created a story about her. And, you know, just really that, like you said, that narrative concretized. Mm -hmm. And if they, and then once they shared those stories, they were able to see each other's perspective, Mm -hmm. but years had gone past. Yeah. And so it was like that belief, those beliefs were so entrenched that they couldn't change their minds about each other. Mm -hmm. Even if they understood it intellectually, like, okay, that was... Mm-hmm. how it played out for you. And this is how it played out for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it really, it, it, it's a, it's a tragedy too, because there was a lot, there was a lot of good in that couple that could have been salvaged had they come earlier. Um,
0: yes, but that's, they had just been, a good lesson.
1: you know, the, the thing I like to say to people is look w- narrative work is really just mental rehearsal. Right. And so people will use mental rehearsal in all areas of life that they want to do better. in. think about athletes, think about performers, um, they will think about their routine on stage. They'll think about their, the, the game they're playing on the field or on the ice. And that will help them do better because the brain doesn't know the difference between the body and the brain, by and large, don't know the difference between an internal experience and an external experience. Well, it made sense to me that if that's true to the positive when you're using mental rehearsal and essentially narrative work around these performance-based things, that if couples are doubling down on the daily, on negative narratives, what they're doing is they're mentally rehearsing to fall out of love. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That landed right in my face. I was like, oh boy, that's a big one, right? That we have to watch that because we are mentally rehearsing to fall out of love. Even though, and I, you know, I had to catch myself doing, I'd, I'd done it in relationships in the past before i had met my wife. And I, I recognized I didn't want to do that to her. And so when every time I saw or heard a a narrative coming up and we think, no big deal, I have a lot of thoughts, no one can hear it but me, I would stop myself mindfully of going, nope, no, that's not fair. That's not loving. If there's something to talk about, talk about it. But don't sit here and build a narrative behind closed doors and a story about her that's only maybe partially true and then suddenly have this belief system about her that doesn't turn you on anymore, doesn't feel connective, doesn't feel loving. And that's where the narrative can go. And that's where it went with Jeff and Tanya.
0: Wow. So in your, you teach different ways to change the narrative. Like you said, <laughs> stopping that thought, right? <laughs> I love how you share in your book about how you have a family culture, like of thank yous. The yeah. littlest, even with your wife, right? And yeah. I do this, I, I've been doing this too for, for a while. It's like, and Terry Cole talks about like our appreciation rituals. And it's like the littlest thing. It's like, and it's not little because little things matter. Like, thank you for making mm-hmm. the bed. You didn't, mm-hmm. I, like, I didn't make the bed. You made it. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for, my, my husband puts my coffee cup under the machine because I drink my <laughs> coffee after him and it's like ready to go. How kind is that? Thank you very much. Well, what does that um, say? So
1: that cup, that, what does that do to you?
0: Yes. Right. Like, well, it means it's you a little thing, but I was
1: thinking about you love. when you weren't here. Right. I was thinking about you, Robin, when you weren't here. That yes. matters. That plays.
0: It sure does. Yeah. And just saying thank you for every little thing because mm-hmm. you're not doing it, right? Oh, it's funny because Terry Cole says that she's like, I don't have an assistant. He's not my assistant. So it's not like, like I'm not paying him to no. p- take that with the garbage. So when he does right. it and I didn't have to do it, I thank him. She's thank like, it's you. a very simple, but it's true.
1: How hard is that?
0: Right? No, it's, it's not hard. And of course, gratitude rituals, right? You mm-hmm. have gratitude you, rituals that you have yourself that are. Yeah. So it's just being thankful, you're being thankful out loud as well as grateful Mm -hmm.
1: changes the story
0: yes Mm -hmm. yeah okay so practice four is is choosing this was really this was great because you actually talk about there's a difference between choosing and law of attraction sorry Mm -hmm. love languages yep Mm -hmm. this goes deeper than love languages it does so let's talk about choosing
1: Yeah. So when I talk about choosing and I, and I wrote an article years ago for Elephant Journal and it was called, you got to want to do the dishes. And it really was just about the little things like, you know, a cup of coffee made just the way she likes it, or a cup of coffee under the, beneath the machine. I left that for you. It's a bed made, um, not because you like making the bed because you know that he or she, or they like the bed made. It's those little things that make you feel picked, loved, and chosen. And so people immediately will say, oh, you mean love languages? Yeah. Okay, sure. And I feel like, you know, um, there's something to that. It was, it, it, let's face it, who wouldn't want to have written that book, right? It sold a lot of copies and it certainly spoke, it hit something yeah. uh, for people who read that. But I, to a person in my practice, a lot of people have read that book. And so when they come in, I'll say, oh, okay, well, which ones are you? Say, I think I'm a one four.
0: I think she yeah, you just, you don't my quite. Partner's yeah, I two, still don't know. We
1: should get that book back out. Right. 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 Yeah. For me, that really scratched the surface. And, and Sue Johnson and her book, Hold Me Tight, and that's really what choosing is based on is emotionally focused therapy by and large, and a lot of her work. She said, look, the therapists and the clients that they serve are often mm-hmm. only willing to go to the waterline on what's actually going on. And I thought that was like, that's true. And so I made it a point, and for me in my practice, I'm not going to referee who said what to who at dinner last night, what time someone came. No. Those things are marginally important. And when we dive below that waterline that Sue Johnson was talking about, I was like, what's under there? And for me, I was like, okay, well, what are, we, what are we really fighting? Not about, but what are we fighting for? That seemed like an important question to me. What are we fighting for yes. in this? And so – um, I also studied, you know, Carl Rogers and you know, he's a, one of the first hu- maybe the first humanist therapist that came along turned a lot of what Jung and Freud were doing on its head and said that the client really does matter um and they come through your door looking for something they come through the, through your door looking for unconditional positive regard. And that I love that term and I was like what is that? Yeah. And so I started parsing that out and doing a lot of research and what I came to understand for me in my work is that What we're fighting for and what unconditional, we're looking for unconditional positive regard. That's what we're fighting for. But what is it? It's, am I loved? Am I safe? Am I enough? And do I matter? Most of our experiences fall under those, those, those four wounds, those four pieces Yes. And if you could find a fifth, I'm happy to entertain it. But I've looked and I've asked and I don't think there is one. Most things fall on most experiences fall into that. That makes you feel like you are not loved, like you are not safe, like you weren't like enough or you don't matter. This is what our love languages are attached to. So our love languages are important and they're fun and, they, and they're a salve, right? It makes us feel better, but it doesn't actually speak to the wound. And that's what we've come here to really fight for and fight about. Uh, That's what we're fighting about on the surface. We come to fight for underneath the surface. And so if you're fighting over where to eat dinner tonight or what to do with the money or how to parent the kids, we are fighting for one or some of those. And when couples can figure out which ones they're there fighting for, now we're cooking with gas because we don't have to stand on the surface and go over the nonsense anymore. Because when I see you, I see a little kid. I see you. I I see my wife who didn't feel safe in her own home. And that's something that I have to take into consideration all of the time, right? That when I, when I figured that out about her and I tell that story in the book of reading Steven Johnson's book um, on character styles, it's, it's a thick one. If you can get through it, great. It'll blow your hair back. Um, but I, it was like, I got the teacher's edition to my relationship and I figured out her character style was she never felt safe in the world. And so part of my job was to hold the container of safety Right. Wow. That was revelatory.
0: It really, really is.
1: The compassion that is engendered within us when we see, we don't see our partner fighting with us anyway through, anymore through their, through their, uh, protector parts. We sort of look behind the protector part and I see this, this little wounded girl, right? In our case, it just never felt safe. And when I see her that way, man.
0: Mm. You're able that just, that is beautiful. You're able to help with her healing. Yeah. And loving her the way that she needs to be loved—that's so beautiful. So, what's the big? The, the big question is like that. That is a big question. Are you going to and are you able to love me the way that I need to be loved? Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. to me was like, what if somebody? What if somebody is just okay? You're doing all the work. You you are mm-hmm. you, you know, but you're with somebody that's just not. There just not, maybe not able. Mm-hmm. or willing to go there. That's really or, you, or you don't must want see to. that in your practice right they don't want yeah. to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: we need someone who's willing they're not there to fix us, and this is important because some people will say, well, doesn't this dovetail into codependence? And I'll say, nope, no. it doesn't go anywhere near there because you're not you're not there to fix it. You're there to hold space for it. And you're there to recognize it. You're there to validate it and to make them feel seen and understood in a way that they've never been felt seen or understood before in their lives. And that in and yes. of itself, just that gaze, just that validation is healing in its way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So number five, which is that, so you came up with the last one because you're like, yeah. okay, we're de- I'm definitely missing something here. There has to be one more piece, <laughs> which is so more- important. Like, the, well, when I'm thinking about this, when I'm like, this one is a given. It has to be there. Otherwise, it's a disaster. Well, It's a responsibility, that I, right?
1: Yeah. And I don't put it on the front of the website because no one would come. <laughs> and Right? No one wants to do I don't this. Want,
0: it's not my fault.
1: Mm-mm, nope. I want to blame you. And
0: Quite simply, it's owning your own shit.
1: That's exactly right. right. Own your <laughs> shit. Own it. And, and two, it's, that's twofold. One, mm-hmm take responsibility for your mindfulness, for your parts, for your narrative, for your choosing of your partner, and you will be cooking with gas. Now, it also dovetails into owning your shit means everything you say and everything you do, right? Yeah. And so this is where people get a little like, hey man, you're asking me to be permissive. You're asking me to apologize for things that I don't want to. That's not actually what I'm doing. I'm asking you to take not not give up ground in your relationship, but take the higher ground, the ground of emotional intelligence. And to be able to see that like, you know, my partner has said that I've done something. Let's say they said, I said something last night that embarrassed them and hurts their feelings. My intention was, of course, not to do that, but it happened anyway, right? This is where people fight. This is where they spin the wheels. This is where the love embargo comes in. No, I didn't. Yes, you totally. did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. It's like a Wimbledon match in your office. And it
0: wasn't my intention. I mean, you hear that so And we much. fight
1: for our intention. Yeah, we fight for the intention. Instead of saying, I hear that I hurt you. We talk about my intention in a minute. And I just want to say that I am really sorry for anything that I said that embarrassed you or or made you feel that way. I have to let you know that. And then you can follow it up with. It certainly was never my intention. But if we dig into our intent and I'm not a person who would do that to you, we're never going to find resolve. And they're never going to feel validated. They're never going to feel seen. And so – not asking you to admit to something that you think you did not do, but know the difference between your intention and the fact that you are capable of hurting people's feelings, even when you didn't mean to.
0: That's right.
1: And we can all be shits sometimes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. like we all make mistakes and it's just like, oh, yeah. I said the wrong thing. I was like, a shit totally the other day. didn't mean that. Right? Yeah. yeah we were right? walking we're on the beach to- the
1: other day and she was like, you know, you're being kind of a shit right now. And I, w- I was, and I was like, I stopped, I pushed pause. I looked at the part of me that was present and I was like she's right. And I turned to her, I said, you're right. I shouldn't, I should not have said that to you. That was, that was out of line and I was wrong and it was done. And she's like, thank you so much. And she, she added, of course, for practicing the thing you wrote a book about, but okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's so great. (laughs) Yeah. You say when we argue for our intentions, we make the other person feel like they have no right to feel the way they do, Mm -hmm. which is like, that's just the opposite of what, you want, you want to be able to, val- and that's how validation is so important, right? Validating their experience. And- well, look,
1: they're already having the feeling. You're yes. trying to argue, out, argue, argue them out of the feeling that they're already having. Tell me how pissed off they're going to be about that. They're going to double down. They're going to double totally. down on, no, I'm having this experience and you can't take it from me. And wow. by the way, you, you're now falling into the category of people who just don't understand me. And do you really want to go down that path?
0: Right? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Well, I i just so I just so love the work you're doing, and you're just such a like easy guy to talk to and listen to Thanks. and learn yeah. from. And I want everybody to read your book. I there's full of skills and exercises that people can practice and just ways right. to say things. Mm-hmm. Um and I just I yeah, so I you have um I'm gonna quote you and then I'm gonna close our episode with a blessing. Okay. So You say love requires curiosity. It sure does. It requires curiosity about another's pain, about what they did not get in their upbringing, about their core question. Loving in this way invites selflessness, grace, and benevolence. I think that's so beautiful. May we be curious about those we are in relationship with. May we take personal responsibility for our own stuff and be mindful in all areas of life. And may we be conduits of love, grace, and benevolence for each other.
1: I love that. So, thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Lair.
1: Yeah, this is fun. <laughs>
0: Everybody read this book. It's so good, The Practice of Love. <laughs> I loved it. And I loved our discussion.
1: <laughs> me too. So thank- Thanks for having me.
0: Please visit realloveready.com to become a member of our community. Submit your relationship questions for our podcast experts at reallovereadypodcast at gmail.com. We read everything you send. Be sure to rate and review this podcast. Your feedback helps us get you the relationship advice and guidance you need. The Real Love Ready podcast is recorded and edited by Maya Anstey. Transcriptions by otter.ai and edited by Maya Anstey. We at Real Love Ready acknowledge and express gratitude for the Coast Salish people, the stewards of the land on which we work and play and encourage everyone listening to take a moment to acknowledge and express gratitude for those that have stewarded and continue to steward the land that you live on as well.